that's open right now. So if you didn't get all that, you can go back and listen to that sermon. But we're going to dive into this tonight. I'm going to deal with faithfulness and ascension. I'm dealing with end-time prophetic, uh, end-time prophecy out of Revelation and Daniel and other places in the scriptures. I'm going to continue with this until I'm done. So I'm just kind of taking my time with it this year. Who knows? Seriously, this could be the year the Lord comes back anyway. So let's go ahead and just dive into this tonight. Revelation 17, 14. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So called, chosen, faithful. These were the ones that were with him as he was coming back. Did everybody catch that? Not everybody is going to be with the Lord as he returns. So the way this works is this. I'm going to deal tonight, come toward the end of the service, come back to faithfulness and what is preparing us for the catching away. But let me just touch on this scripture, called, chosen, and faithful. The calling of the Lord is the Lord draws us unto him. Jesus said, no man can come except the Father draw him. And so the Father will draw people unto him by the Spirit of God. So we can't even, you know, there's no reason to ever be prideful about anything in Christianity because we can't even get saved without the Lord drawing us by Spirit. Amen? So there's, there's nothing that we could ever do of any value except the Lord give us the grace to do it anyway, okay? But he draws us. He calls us unto himself. Then the next point is this. His chosen ones. These are the people that the Lord is wanting to use in a powerful way. So not only has he called you unto himself, now he's choosing you, and he will begin a process of consecrating you, setting you apart, anointing you. He's going to begin to prepare you and change you. And this process is not going to be pleasant, and it's not going to be easy, but it is a process of a deep consecration unto God. And for the olive to give forth the oil, it has to be crushed, okay? So the Lord, just like Jesus said, a kernel of wheat has to fall to the ground and die. Then it will bring forth, you know, fruit. So we have to go through this process of death and crushing. And it's not a, it's not a negative thing, but it's difficult to go through. But once you come through it, you come through it as gold refined in the fire. And you come through it as somebody that God can use in a powerful way. So he calls you unto himself, then he chooses you. And in the choosing of you, he's preparing you. But then as he begins to use you, we've got to be faithful to him. See, some people are called, but they're never chosen. They never go beyond that. Some people are chosen, but they're not faithful. But how many knows the Bible says right here, those that will be with him when he returns as king of kings will be the called, chosen, and the faithful. Okay. All right, so let, let me start here and then kind of dovetail back to that. Acts 19, just picking up about, I did a sermon a couple weeks back on the power of water baptism, the power of immersion, what is actually happening in your life. It's a lot more than what people realize, okay? And so I already touched on that. I can't go there again. Last week I talked about how the children of Israel were baptized in 1 Corinthians 10. It says they were baptized into the Red Sea into Moses. But it's interesting that they were also baptized 
through the Jordan when they took the promised land. Did everybody catch that? Because that right there is significant. They were baptized as they left Egypt, but then they went through another baptism to take the promised land. And so there was a preparation, a deep consecration that was happening in them to prepare them to take that land. And also, um, the immersion took place when Elijah passed his mantle to Elisha. And remember, Elijah was taken up that fiery chariot, dropped his mantle, and then Elisha picks up the mantle. And he struck the Jordan. The Jordan parted. He went through on dry ground. It was a water immersion, a baptism, that prepared him for an increase of anointing. All right? So now we're picking up with that. And I also did a scripture in Luke where it talked about how baptism immersion prepared the people to receive Christ's ministry. And those that refused to prepare their hearts and prepare their lives, they were the ones like the Pharisees that rejected Christ when he appeared. But those that had gone through a time under John's ministry of getting the sin out of their lives, getting consecrated unto God, being baptized by John the Baptist, preparing their hearts when Jesus came, they were ready to receive his ministry and receive the revival that he carried everywhere he went. How many knows that Jesus was a walking revival? Seriously. And so for them to receive Jesus, they had to receive the fullness of everything he was doing, the demons coming out of people, the healings and miracles and everything else going on. All right, so Acts chapter 19 is really interesting because Paul is going into Ephesus where he saw his greatest revival. And he planted a powerful church in the fires of revival, the church at Ephesus. And he wrote them a letter in the Bible called the, uh, you know, the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And it's a very powerful story how Paul went there and saw a great move of God. But on his way as he was going into Ephesus, he ran into a couple of disciples and he asked them if they had received the Spirit of God when they believed. And they, they were saying, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so Paul explained to them, well, he said, well, whose baptism did you receive? They said, we were baptized by John the Baptist. And he said, John baptized to prepare for Christ's coming. And so once they heard Paul talk about Jesus, see, they had already prepared their hearts by repenting of sin, getting things right, and being baptized by John, that whenever Paul presented Jesus to them, they immediately accepted Christ as their Savior, immediately. And then after that, Paul lays his hands on them and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. So the Lord used them in a powerful way, okay? So what I'm saying is this, the, the water immersion, the deep consecration unto God, all of this is preparing for something big for River of Life. Not necessarily for everybody, but those that, that are really caught the vision and they're, they're understanding what I'm talking about right now. God is really deeply consecrating River of Life for a tremendous move of God, a tremendous revival. And so with that said, I believe tonight's going to be very powerful and it's going to be extremely important because as we took communion at the beginning of the service, we're going to pray for people, then baptize those that want it. There's a deep consecration that's happening in you. And God is preparing you to be used. See, they prepared their hearts and lives to receive Christ, but not just receive him, but receive that revival that he carried. All right, here's the next thing. Motives of the heart. The Lord, as revival, keeps continuing to come. And God is, is going to keep moving in great power and begin to do new things 
We've got to keep the motives of our heart very pure before him. And that's a very big deal to God because a lot of people that revival will come and the move of the spirit will come. Some, uh, I believe this about a lot of people that have not really consecrated themselves and humbled themselves. They will inevitably try to use that move of God for their own advantage. They will try to use that move of God to make a name for themselves to build their own kingdom and to do their own thing. But see, that's where motives of the heart are so vitally important because if we have pure motives of the heart, we're not caring what other people think about anything. We're just doing, we're living for him to please him and the motives are pure. And the move of God is stepping back out of the way and letting God do what he wants to do and not trying to use it for our own advantage. So I encourage you to really check your heart if that's a little cold tonight, just punch it up a couple degrees. But as, as the revival's coming, guys, I want you to really examine your heart and your motives. Why do we want a move of God? I want a move of God for this simple reason. I want to see people saved. We don't have a lot of time. And it's going to take a move of God in the day that we live. And not only that, but I want a move of God to see people set free and their lives transformed because Christians need that, right? And we need the power of God coming in and changing lives, okay? So we're doing, we're seeking God for a move of God, but we've got to examine and make sure, all right, is my motives about this pure so when the Lord does come, it's not going to become tainted by our own ambitions in life, but it's going to be something that we step back and let him do what he wants to do the way he wants to do it so that he gets all the glory. So the motives of the heart need to be humility, love, and to bring the Lord all the glory. All right, the next thing is now I'm going to shift because I need to talk about the rapture, the catching away of the bride. I'm going to start moving more into that. There's a lot to that, so I'm just going to touch on it tonight. But remember how I talked about the harvest cycles in a year. The first harvest cycle is at Pentecost. And during that time, the, the barley is brought in. And as Israel would bring in the barley, they would take a winnowing fork and they would go to a threshing floor and they would toss the barley up in the air and the wind would separate the grain from the chaff of the barley. It was something that was pretty easy to do and it was something that the wind could do. And see, the first, well, let me go through this whole thing and come back, but the first wave of harvest is going to be this end time move of God and then the catching away, catching away of the bride. Now, the next harvest was that at the um, tabernacle time. And that is uh, the, I'm sorry, the first harvest is the barley harvest, and then the second harvest is at Pentecost, I'm sorry. The second harvest at Pentecost is the wheat. And the wheat harvest has to be crushed. So you have the barley harvest, which the wind can separate it pretty easily. But then you have the sheaves of wheat being brought in at Pentecost, and those sheaves have to be, the grain has to be crushed. And so they actually had back in those days like a wooden sleds, and they would have somebody stand on the sled to provide weight, and something like an ox or a mule or something would pull that sled, and that sled would crush the grain and separate the grain apart from the chaff. So what's going to happen is the first harvest is where the wind of the spirit of God is moving. People are humbling themselves. 
and God is consecrating them and he's drawing in this harvest and he's going to catch away a bride at some point in time that has made herself ready and scriptures clearly show that not everybody's going and not everybody's going to be ready so this is the barley harvest that the wind of the spirit of God is going to as it's tossed up is going to carry us out but the next harvest will be during the wheat harvest which is representing the tribulation time a time of great crushing during that time there's going to be a lot of Christians that played games and weren't right you know they weren't they were living in sin the Lord came they weren't ready they're here it's going to be a terrible time the Bible says if those days were not shortened nobody would survive survive and it's going to be the most difficult time the world's ever known so during that time the the Christians that have remained there's going to be a great crushing that goes on but through the crushing they're going to get things right with God and there's going to be another harvest during the tribulation time then the final harvest is at the end of the year this is the tabernacles the the fall feast time they have the harvest of grapes and things like that and the Bible talks a lot about the Lord treading the winepress of his wrath and fury and all of that and what's going to happen is that at the end of the tribulation time there's still going to be um, some Christian people and there's definitely going to be some Jewish people that have been scattered by the Antichrist and the Lord says when he comes he's going to send out his angels to go gather in his elect those that are out there that remain and they're going to be brought into him and of course we know that the Jewish people that remain are going to see Jesus when he comes and they're going to believe in him and so that final final harvest is at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes and it's, it represents, you know, the grape harvest that there's been a lot of bloodshed through the tribulation time. But these are those that survived it and have been gathered unto the Lord. So does that make sense? That is what God is showing us through the harvest cycles of the year. I'm sorry I said it wrong at the beginning, but the Passover time is the barley harvest. That's the first. Then it represents, Pentecost represents the uh, tribulation time. And then, of course, we know at the end of the fall feast represents the final harvest of the grapes those that have survived the tribulation so that's kind of a picture and type of, of where things are at right now we're at that first harvest time that barley harvest so here's the point are we letting the Holy Spirit the wind of the Spirit of God prepare our hearts and lives or are we going to be the type of people that are stubborn prideful unrepentant and we're going to end up having to go through the crushing period think about it are we the top people that are humble and the spirit of God can just speak to us and the Lord can do a work in us and he can prepare us so that we're ready when he comes then the next picture in type is Sinai you guys remember the story Moses they were given the law God comes down on the top of Mount Sinai the place was shaking it looked like fire and smoke at the top of the mountain the voice of the Lord sounded like a loud shofar blast it scared people after death and the Lord appeared to them in that way and out of that experience came the law God gave Moses the law he gave him he went up remember got the Ten Commandments and brought it back down but it was at Sinai so let me show you something really interesting about this. This is also a picture and type of the church being caught away 
by the Lord when he comes. So let me show you the parallels. Number one, God married himself to Israel that day at Sinai. To this day, Israel, whenever they have weddings, the Jewish people have what's called a chopa, and it's just a, some kind of a covering overhead, a lot of times a prayer shawl, a tallit, but there's a covering. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, and his presence was like a cloud, and it provided that chopa, that covering over top. And the Lord, the Father, married himself to Israel. And we as Christians are engaged to be married to Christ. Let that sink in. That's, that's an awesome revelation. But anyway, God married himself to Israel. And just like the Lord's presence was at the top of the mountain, and there was a remnant not all of Israel, but there was a remnant of Moses, some of his leaders, and then the elders of Israel. There was a remnant that God had descended midair, so to speak, at the top of the mountain, and then a remnant went up to meet him in the air, so to speak. And that's obviously a picture and type of the rapture, the catching away of God's people. And the people of God before the Lord had them approach him like that, Moses told them, said, guys, listen, he killed a sacrifice for their sins. He took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people so their garments had blood stains. And he told them to wash with water and to prepare themselves. So they were immersing themselves. It was a, a water baptism. There was bloodshed. He told them, get everything consecrated so that you can see the Lord. And so they had to prepare themselves. There was a deep consecration to go into God's presence like that. A great preparation took place. Is anybody else seeing the parallels here? When God came down on Mount Sinai, again, his voice was like this loud shofar blast. And what does the Bible say when Jesus is going to descend midair? There's going to be a shout and there's going to be a loud shofar blast as the the dead in Christ and those that are alive and remain that have made themselves ready are going to be caught up with him. And again, it was just a remnant that went. And they saw God and did not die. This is the most interesting thing because they went up, think about this, they went up that mountain and the Bible says in Exodus, you can read this for yourself, Exodus 19, they got up there and they saw God and they did not die. But the reason that they didn't die was because Moses had sprinkled blood on them and it's the blood that protects us and the blood that gives us access to God's presence okay and that blood protected them and they did not die and it says also that they ate and drank so they had that feast there in the presence of the Lord like that just like when we're caught away where are we going we're going to the marriage supper of the lamb to a feast where we're going to see the Lord, Jesus, we're going to be in his presence, and we're going to be feasting with him. Does anybody else see this parallel? This is amazing. So right now, the process is, for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, that God is calling us to a deep consecration, a preparation. And I believe that, you know, you never know the Lord could come this year. We don't know. But the signs of the times as I've been preaching on them, and you should know by now, all these signs are happening before our very eyes right now. And so the coming of the Lord is very near. 
the people that are lukewarm and not right, they're not ready. They're not going to be caught out of here. But those of us that are making ourselves ready, we're ready. But should the Lord tarry and not come this year, I believe what you're going to see in the days to come will be Israel is going to go to war at some point. And I believe somehow it's going to work in their favor where they get more land and, and start looking at rebuilding a temple. And then also the church, there's always a parallel with what goes on with Israel and then the church. And I believe that God's people, the church, are going to see the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit we've ever seen. And I believe that. I'm not just saying that. I'm not saying that just to get people excited about anything. I really do believe that, that there's going to be a major move of God should the Lord tarry this year. And the reason why is because we need that move of God to see the harvest come in. See, Israel's been hardened for a time, blinded for a time, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so while God's dealing with them in his own way, there's a great harvest to be brought in. And I'll tell you another sign of the times to show how close we are to the Lord's coming. There are so many Jewish people now that are becoming Christians. And that right there alone, that one sign right there should show you how close we are to the coming of Christ because now that hardening that was happening, that blinding in part till the fullness of the Gentiles comes in is beginning to be lifted. And that should show you, man, the coming of the Lord has got to be close. Things are changing so much. So are we ready for his coming when he does come? Let me put it this way. Are we ready to be caught out of here? Yes. Are, but also, are we ready for him coming in revival that we can be used of him? See, that's a twofold question. Are we ready to be caught away? But also, should the Lord tarry, are we ready to be used of him in a major way? Let me say that one more time. Are we really ready, River of Life? Are we ready should the Lord come this year? Have we made ourselves ready, a bride that has made herself ready? And also, should the Lord tarry, are we ready that God can entrust us with a significant move of God? Certainly not for our glory. You can ask my wife. We pray together every night. Sometimes we pray about revival. But... You know, we've prayed together. This has absolutely nothing to do. We've prayed this, nothing to do with anybody knowing anybody's name or anything like that. It just is wanting to see people saved in Book of Acts Christianity. That's the truth. We've prayed that. And that's where I stand with it. But I want to see Book of Acts Christianity, and we will. You know, God's going to gather people that are hungry for true biblical Christianity around us. Are we really ready for his coming? So we've got to stay pure and holy before him. We've got to stay faithful to our post and what he's called us to do. I've seen people that have not been faithful and the Lord's had to bring others in to fill that void. I've seen it. We've got to remain faithful to our post and what he's called us to do. If you're called to be a soul winner, like Melissa and others that are getting out in the streets and Fernando and I know there's others. If you're, if you're called to be you know, doing the worship or be an intercessor, Let's be faithful with the things that we're called to do. Called to help with touching hearts, getting out there and witnessing, getting in the prisons, doing what we're called to do. The Lord talks about, you know, the, when he comes, the faithful servants that are doing what he left them to do and coming back and seeing that as he comes. And we've got to live for eternity, not the here and now. It's easy to get caught up with the here and now. 
But we need to start having a different mindset of what's going to matter in eternity. What, what would it be like if the Lord does come in a couple months from now and all we were really focused on was just the things that we want in life? You see what I'm saying? It would, all of a sudden, it wouldn't matter. It's like, who, ma- who cares if, it, what, what does it matter? Who cares if we've got, you know, the latest things or whatever? But we want to keep our focus on the fact that the Lord could come at any time and let's live with an eternal mindset of doing things that he wants that are going to be significant in light of eternity like souls being saved etc and lives changed and disciples made and sowing our time and resources into the kingdom things like that and so here's what the lord is doing right now to help prepare should he tarry this has already been something that he's been doing for the last couple decades very strong is he's rebuilding david's fallen tent and let me explain that Whenever God appeared to Moses on Sinai, they also, God also gave him the tabernacle and they built it in the wilderness. And the tabernacle was with them. Whenever they entered the promised land, the tabernacle went into the promised land. And the last place that we know of that the tabernacle rested was in Gibeah. And while it was there, David had risen to power and he became king over jerusalem he took it from the jebusites he made that the city of david he but he wanted as he set up his throne there he wanted so bad to have god's presence in jerusalem and god permitted this but david we know the story david goes and he gets the ark out of the tabernacle in gibeah and he brings it into jerusalem now this is interesting because now the ark is separated from the tabernacle and that has never happened and so david builds a tent for just the ark by itself and he set up people to worship and pray night and day around the ark so now let me read this to you in light of what i just shared with you amos 9 11. see this is referring to the last days and as we're seeing all these things unfold with Israel, the signs of, the, of what's going on in the world and the end time harvest, the revival, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, a bride made ready, all the things that God's doing in these last days, in light of that, I believe that the Lord has already done this, but he's been rebuilding David's fallen tent to undergird all that's going on in the world with worship and prayer. Because how many knows that it's prayer that gets things done it really is it's worship and prayer so amos 9 11 says this in that day i will raise up the fallen booth of david or the fallen tent of david and wall up its breaches i will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in days of old that they may possess the remnant of edom and i put there in parentheses palestine because when it says edom it's referring to the west bank in Israel it's referring to that area that Israel please hear me when I say this that Israel still has got to take that land and that's where their temple's going to be rebuilt is in that specific location and I don't believe that it's coincidence that Amos pointed out here that in the last days that this area referring to Edom would have to be taken by Israel does everybody see that that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Look at this. When the plowman will overtake the reaper. 
Now, how does that happen? And the treader of grapes, him that sows the seed. How in the world would the treader of grapes overtake the guy that's sowing the seed? You know what that's saying there? It's a supernatural harvest. God speeds things up so fast, and it's such a radical thing that the seed doesn't even have time to get in the ground good before God's already reaping a harvest. But it's going to happen as David's tent is rebuilt and there's worship and prayer to undergird the move of God. Verse 14 says, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel and they, re they will rebuild ruined cities and live in them. Now, how many are seeing that right now in Israel? They are rebuilding ruined cities and living in them. We're living in this time that was prophesied. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them in their land and they will not again, now remember this, they will not again be rooted out of their land which I've given them, says the Lord. Don't worry too much about Israel. We need to pray for them, don't worry about them. God himself said they're not gonna be uprooted, okay? So God himself is gonna protect Israel and he's gonna bring in this last day harvest. But he needs people that will worship and pray and this move of God be undergirded through prayer to see a supernatural harvest. That's what's going on right now. I mean, when you think about a supernatural harvest, let's think about a few things. What about Reinhard Bonnke that has seen so many millions saved in Africa? Did you know there was one service, it was prophesied that he would see a million people saved in one service? But many years ago before that was even in the realm of his thinking. But did you know he actually saw that? I believe it was in Nigeria, if I'm not mistaken. There was a million people that signed a decision card for the first time that they wrote on that decision card, I accepted Christ for the first time. That's a supernatural harvest. And that's just one of many that are seeing this end time harvest come in. But here's where it is tonight because I know the heart of river of life that this has been really an exceptional group of people honestly because I've been in church for many years and as I said something last night at the youth I've seen I grew up in church I didn't really know the Lord but when I got older I, I did my parents you know pray for me I came to the Lord I'm not going to rabbit trail on that but I saw growing up and being in church all these years there's usually a group of people that are really on fire for God and radical in every church, pretty much. And they're the ones that come to all the prayer meetings, you know, and they, they're the ones that whenever you go out witnessing, they come, things like that. They're really on fire for God. But then you've got those that are not really on fire for God. They're kind of just there. And they're good people. They know the Lord. And then you've got a whole other group that really don't even know the Lord and don't live the life. They, they're one way at church and another way when they're not at church. But that's usually the way that it is. And I'm really thankful because River of Life, by and large, has been an incredible group of people that are hungry for a move of God and coming and praying with us. And when you can't be here, you live stream it and pray with us and, and come out and help us witness when we go witnessing. It's been awesome. So that leads me to this final point, the idols and unfaithfulness. As we're preparing tonight, those that are gonna go through baptism, through immersion, 
this is kind of what I want to close with. Revelation 17. It talks about the whore of Babylon. And this is an actual spirit. But this spirit is going to be connected to the Antichrist. Well, really the false prophet more so than the Antichrist. It's going to prepare the way for the rise of the Antichrist. But this, this spirit, this whore of Babylon spirit, is going to really empower the false prophet and create a false church. And you're already seeing it right now. That there's a false church in the world right now that believes there's many ways to God. You don't have to come through the blood of Jesus. They believe that the Bible is just one of many inspired books. They're comfortable with other religions coming in and they'll worship and pray with their Buddhists and their Muslims and everybody else. And they're comfortable with what society is accepting like abortions and, and homosexual marriage and other things that the Bible condemns. We love them, we, we pray for them and um, nothing against them as individuals, we care about them. We want them to come to Jesus just like we had to come to Jesus. But I'm just saying that you, you can't be for what God is against. And so there's this false church that is emerging right now. And it's another sign of the times. But I want you to notice some things. I put that scripture there because the whore of Babylon, the, the, it's the prostitute of Babylon, the, the harlot of Babylon. It's a false church that the Bible describes as a harlot. I look at Hosea 4.12, my people consult a wooden idol and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution that can be translated whoredoms or harlotry leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. Did everybody catch that? There is a spirit of whoredoms, a spirit of prostitution that leads them astray and they are unfaithful to their God. See, I'm coming back to faithfulness because those that are going to be caught away and those that are going to be coming with the Lord when he comes are going to be the called, chosen, and the faithful. So in Bible terminology, people that were worshiping idols, God called them unfaithful to him. He, called, he said that there was like a spirit of adultery or a spirit of whoredoms that was at work in their life that was leading them astray. And then in Leviticus 17, verse 7, this is a really interesting scripture. And those that have been with us very long, you'll recognize some of this. It says, God was telling Moses to tell the people, they will bring their sacrifices to the temple, to the tabernacle, and they will offer them to God through Aaron's priesthood. Okay, that's what God was saying. And listen to what he said after that. He said, they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifice to the goat demons, which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statute to them throughout their generations. Think about that. So the Lord was saying, they're no longer going to be saying, I worship you, God, and bring his sacrifices to the temple, but then worshiping other gods over here. 
And I looked up the word goat demons in the Hebrew. And those that are familiar with the lettering, you read from right to left, and it's the shin, then the ayin, then the yud, and the resh, and it uh, would be kind of a, uh, was it sair, would be the way they'd say it in Hebrew, but it's seder in English. So it's interesting that that spirit, and if you read this, those of you that you know like to study these things out, jot down in your notes Isaiah 34, and go read about Babylon that's going to fall, and how it talked about the screech owl and the, um, the he-goats, and if you read them in Hebrew, it's Lilith and Seder, and it's occult spirits. And so listen, the Bible says that Babylon, this evil world system, is going to increasingly become a place of demonic activity. And this Seder spirit is not to be trifled with. Some of you guys need to be aware that whenever you're unfaithful to God and you're getting into idolatry and you're unfaithful to to him in a sexual way you're you know looking with lust and getting into pornography and all these sort of, which is not just a male problem it is very much a female problem by the way but people that are doing this and you're being unfaithful to God sexually you have no idea what you're opening yourself up to and what realm you're beginning to move into or you wouldn't be doing it and then James 4 4 says you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? And whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So James 4.4, 4, this is interesting because once again, you see the terminology of, of whoredoms and harlotry and unfaithfulness and adultery. And James in the New Testament is saying that you're an adulterous people because you're wanting to be with God, but then you're also wanting to be worldly. And you can't have the both. You're going to have to choose which one. And so tonight as we're going to be consecrating our lives and people are going to be going through baptism, I want you to understand something, guys. Those that are going to be doing this, the Lord is calling us to a holy life and, and to be faithful to him. And once you've consecrated your vessel okay your temple once you've consecrated yourself unto god the lord is wanting us to maintain that purity and guard it and protect it okay in numbers 5 11 this is one of the weirdest things i've read in the bible in a long time but it has to do perfectly with this uh whoredoms uh, unfaithfulness adultery see here's what i'm trying to get at first, i believe it's first timothy 4 1 it says that in the last days, the Holy Spirit clearly says that there would come seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Seducing spirits are spirits that lead people astray. They're trying to seduce people into the occult. They're trying to seduce people into this false church I'm talking about. They're trying to seduce people into sexual sins. They're trying to seduce people to commit adultery. It's spirits that are trying to pull people away from God and cause them to be unfaithful to God and unfaithful to people like a Judas Judas was unfaithful to God and he was also unfaithful to the Lord he was unfaithful to people all right numbers 5:11. the Lord spoke to Moses said speak to the sons of Israel and say to them if any man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful him and a man has intercourse with her and is hidden from his eyes or from the eyes of her husband and she is undetected although she has defiled herself 
There is no witness against her, and she has not been caught in the act. If a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous over his wife when she has defiled herself, or if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous over his wife that she has not defiled herself, the man shall uh, then bring his wife to the priest, and shall bring an offering of one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. So basically what's saying here is the guy thinks his wife might have cheated on him, but he's not sure. So he's going to drag her to the priest, and he's going to bring a thing of barley with him as an offering. So he's going with her to the priest with the offering, okay? And he's not to pour oil on it or put frankincense on it, which is really rare because usually for a, a meal offering, a grain offering, they would put oil and frankincense. So this was not to have it on there. And I'll explain here in a moment why that is. For it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of memorial, a reminder of iniquity. Then the priest will bring her near and have her stand before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and he shall take some of the dust that's on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. Now, this is interesting. This would have been water from the laver. So the priest is to take some water out of that laver, and he's to take some of the dust from the floor of the tabernacle and sprinkle it in this water. Then the priest will have the woman stand before the Lord and let, her, let the hair of the woman's head go loose and place the grain offering of memorial in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in the hands of the priest, there's to be this water. Now it's being called the water of bitterness that the woman, uh, that brings a curse. So the priest shall have her take an oath and she'll say to the woman, if no man is lain with you and you have not gone astray into uncleanness, being under the authority of your husband, you will be immune to this water of bitterness that brings a curse. It's not going to hurt you. If you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband has had intercourse with you, then the priest shall have the woman swear with an oath of the cursed, and the priest shall say to the woman, the Lord will make you a curse, and an oath among your people, by the Lord's making, your thigh will waste away and your abdomen will swell and this water will bring a curse that will go into your stomach and your abdomen will swell and your thighs waste away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And then the priest will write these curses on a scroll and he's to wash them off with the water of bitterness. Then he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings a curse so that the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause bitterness. The priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand and will wave it okay, wave it before the Lord a grain offering and bring it to the altar and the priest shall take a handful of grain offering as a memorial offering and offer it up in the smoke of the altar and afterward he shall make the woman drink the water so here they are they go now to the altar the burnt you guys know this stuff the, the bronze altar where they, and they put that on there it's now burning there's smoke going up and now she's going to drink the water then it will come about if she has defiled herself and has been a faithful to her husband that the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause bitterness her abdomen will swell her thigh will waste away and the woman will become a curse among the people but if she has not defiled herself and is clean then she will be free and she will conceive children and she'll be totally fine so there was this testing there here's what's interesting about this it was not to have oil or frankincense on it the oil is the anointing when you're when people are unfaithful to the Lord, 
it can hinder the flow of the anointing in your life. Are you hearing me? When we're unfaithful in whatever it is, when people get into sin, they, they get into pornography, they get into all this worldliness, and they, they want to go hang out in the, the clubs and, and drink and party and do all the stuff the world does. Okay, you know, but when they do that, they're being unfaithful to the Lord, and it's going to dry up the anointing in their life. And you know what else? The frankincense speaks of our worship and prayer. Their prayer life will suffer. All of a sudden, they'll find it difficult to worship and pray because it's like the heavens are brass. And something else that's interesting about this, they took dirt from the tabernacle floor. Let me tell you something. When God, his presence comes into a place, that place becomes holy ground. Have you ever really thought about that? I remember going to Brownsville back, we went in 2012, I believe, and some of y'all went with me. And they had already had that great move of God there. And, you know, I believe millions of people got saved. I don't know what the final count was, but there was at least a million people got saved. But it was radical, and the power of God was amazing. And I remember just being there and worshiping God, and I wasn't expecting anything, but I literally felt, literally, it shocked me, like fire in the floor. And I felt it shoot up my legs. I said, man, you know what it is? That, that is holy ground where God has visited. So think about that. That's what that priest was doing. He was taking that, you know, the, the dirt from the ground, but it, that ground had become holy ground. So let me warn you that sin does have a lot of consequences. And there is, the Bible calls it a spirit of whoredoms that tries to seduce and pull people astray. And let me give you a couple stories here as I close. So there was a woman that was, she was a maid at a hotel. She was very poor and she had several kids. Her husband had died and she was very pretty but she just didn't have a lot of money and that's the best job she could get. So she basically was there and she would clean the floors, clean the toilets, and she was a maid that went through the rooms and cleaned up. And there was a man that came into this hotel one day and he was a very wealthy man, multimillionaire, very successful businessman. Saw her, thought she was very attractive, goes up to her and says, you know, listen, I will give you $1 million for just one night with you. And she got offended. She said, well, who do you think I am? You know, what type of woman do you think I am? And she blew it off. And he said, well, if you change your mind, I'll be in the hotel for a few days anyway. So she goes and she's, she's continuing to clean and think about her life, you know. And she's realizing how poor she is and how difficult her kids have it. And and she would have a hard time putting them through school, and she started thinking about the money, what she could do with all that money. And it's weighing on her. The next day, it's weighing on her. So she finally kind of gives in and thinks, well, it's just one night. She's justifying it in her own mind. It's just one night. And so she goes to the guy, and she says, you know, all right, well, just one night, a million dollars. So the guy says, all right, I'll pick you up tomorrow night. So he comes the next night. He's got this big limo. It's really fancy and nice. She gets in the limo. She's all dressed up. And they're driving down the road, and he says this to her. He says, you know, he says, a million dollars seems like a lot for one night. And she said, what? You, this was the whole reason I did this. He said, and she said, what type of woman do you think I am 
that I would do, and he said, he interrupted her and said, I already know what type of woman you are. Now I'm just negotiating the price. See, the problem is, is that people, a lot of people have a price about being unfaithful to God and being unfaithful to others. That's the problem right there. To some people, you know, it's about making money and materialism. To others, it may be that, let me just read off some of the stuff I wrote. They're so desperate for relationships or to be popular and accepted and loved by people that they're willing to sell out Christ in a heartbeat just to be accepted by people. That's their price. They're so desperate maybe to get married or they're so desperate for sex or whatever it is that you know they're willing to sell out the Lord for those things. So let me read through this. A spirit of unfaithfulness is a very real spirit. The Bible calls it a spirit. You can call it a spirit of unfaithfulness, whoredoms, harlotry, prostitution, adultery. It's all different words to describe some kind of a spirit that draws people away from God. It's a seducing spirit. And it makes them to be unfaithful to God through idolatry and backsliding. How many people have struggled with having idols in their life, things that they don't want to give up, and then they continually keep backsliding away from God. Again, it could be money or materialism, relationships. Some people are so desperate to get married. Be careful with that, because I've seen people marry the wrong people doing that. They're so, so desperate, and some people, they're, they've been wounded in life, and instead of coming to the Lord and letting him heal them, they turn to alcohol. They turn to other things to self-medicate. And they're being unfaithful to the Lord. They're defiling their temple. Why not go to Jesus and let him heal you instead of turning to other things? Amen? Also, the ministry or even being used by God can become an idol. Did you know that? Did you know that your calling, your ministry can be an idol? Worldly entertainment can be an idol. Some people, they have the hardest time. Everybody's different, but some people have the hardest time giving up ungodly entertainment for some reason. But let me tell you, it will drag you down. Other people, they have wrong relationships in their life, wrong friends, wrong boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and they know that they're not good for them, but they just won't repent. They won't break off those relationships. And it continually drags them down spiritually. And it's just, it's, there's something about it. They're not... They're, they're not really wanting to give up everything and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. They're willing to be unfaithful to him as long as they can keep these people. Some of the worldly partying that goes on. But also, let me say this. The Lord is not only interested in us being faithful to him, but being faithful to other people. You know, some people are a lot better friends to others than their friends are to them. Let me say that again. Some people are really good friends to others. They're faithful to them, but yet they find that their friends are fair-weather friends back to them. How many have experienced that? If not, just get into the ministry. But unfaithful people, there's betrayals, breaking confidence, breaking commitments. Let me say that again. Betrayals, breaking confidence, and breaking commitments. I want to be somebody, whether I was in ministry or not, that if somebody confided in me, it would stay confidential, okay? And if I made a commitment to people, I would keep the commitment. 
but unfaithful and also there's a spirit of unfaithfulness that people are even unfaithful to themselves have you ever thought about that that we make commitments to ourselves we have godly convictions we've set godly standards for our lives and yet find ourselves breaking those very things and it's like there's been a struggle for some people not really being faithful to god in everything but also maybe struggle being faithful to people and also struggling being faithful to themselves and so i believe the lord is wanting to help us and let, this is what i see coming river of life those that have been with us you guys have been deeply consecrating your life you guys took out the month of march we prayed we fasted okay people sought god you 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 spent that much month really going after god and we've been really praying and consecrating ourselves unto god and here's here's what i see coming at this point tonight i believe will be a turning of the page see there was this, another story of a man that an old sailor and there was this huge boat there and he had a young sailor that he was training and the young sailor goes out there and this boat is stuck in the mud and the old sailor goes out there and pushes on it and says you think this boat can move and that young sailor i mean is pushing it with all of his might and said there's no way this boat will ever move and he says, i'll show you later so later they come back and the tide had come in and the tide had lifted the boat up and that old sailor just leaned on it and it moved did y'all catch that he just leaned on it here's what i see coming y'all you guys have really been consecrating yourselves and now i believe the lord is about to respond and the tide is coming in i'm serious god's spirit is going to begin to invade this ministry and the power of the holy spirit is going to do what has seemed impossible in the past did y'all catch that the power of the holy spirit is going to increase the tides coming in and God is going to make what seemed impossible seem like it was immovable, unable to be budged. He's going to make it something that's going to break through for people because this is the year of restoration for you. This is the year. And so the Lord is going to start opening up now great, a great shift, a great change that's coming. How many are ready for it? All right, so here's what I want to do. We'll pray for people who want prayer here in a moment, and the Lord will touch you, but I want us to pray about this unfaithfulness business right now because the backsliding and the unfaithfulness is very, very serious bondage, and I believe God's wanting to set people free from that tonight. So let's shut down recordings, and I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer, but I want you to pray to the Lord about it as well. So let me go ahead and lead everybody in a prayer. Y'all ready? If you want to really be victorious over that just agree with me lord i ask forgiveness for all the unfaithfulness that's been in my life i ask you to forgive me where i've been unfaithful to you through idols backsliding compromise and allowing things in my life that is turn me away from you or cause me to struggle spiritually whether it's been about money or materialism relationships or sexual gratification or being accepted loved or popular 
if it's been about self-medicating or if I've made the ministry and my calling an idol I ask you to forgive me if it's been worldly entertainment or partying or anything else where I've been unfaithful to you forgive me Lord and also ask forgiveness if I haven't been faithful with other people if there's been betrayals breaking confidence breaking commitments hurting other people forgive me Lord if I've been unfaithful to myself my godly convictions my standards what you've laid on my heart forgive me Lord I confess these sins and I ask forgiveness on behalf of my family and also my ancestry forgive us Lord wash us in your blood the Bible promises if we confess our sin you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so I receive your forgiveness right now and I humble myself because you give grace to the humble and I ask you for the grace to repent of this to be free of this to bring stability in my life in Jesus name amen alright so father is everybody's just agreeing with me brothers that just play some music father I take authority over anything to do with this spirit of unfaithfulness and whoredoms and, and things that people have maybe opened themselves up to it could be, even be things like we talked about that Seder Lilla type stuff father I just break that off people commanded to lift and go from them now off their minds off their hearts off their emotions I break it off command to go and I thank you, Lord, for freedom. Let the power of your Holy Spirit tonight, as we anoint people with oil, that the power of God will enter their life and begin to break things through. And I just reminded again of that prophecy, you better not miss your window. Because there's people that have thought to themselves, well, I've prayed about it before, and I've prayed about it before. And, you know, it's like, now's the time to lose that attitude and go for it, okay? We've got to have faith to possess the promised land. Amen? Just because you pushed on the boat last time and it didn't budge doesn't mean it's not going to budge this time. Let's have faith. Let's press in and take what God has for us. But I want to take a moment to where you guys can pray and deal with these things. So, Lord, anything to do with unfaithfulness in these areas, Lord, I ask you just to let your spirit minister to people as we deal with things. So before we go into pray for people and do water baptism, I want you to take a moment to really just kneel before the Lord find a place to pray and let's get everything dealt with how many want to leave some things today that you 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 left it behind you get up tomorrow and it's gone okay, it's just not there anymore that's what I'm talking about I'm ready to move beyond the old y'all ready for that ready to shed off the old and come into something new all right so birds if you can put on some worship for me just find a place where you can pray you can kneel you can move out somewhere and find a place to pray. We're going to...